0: Uh, yeah, we do, everyone who's been on this before, you know I've got a big bank of lights behind. I'm just waiting for all the social media to kick in. We've got to Zoom open now. We're just waiting for everyone to come in on that. We've got the brilliant Chevy. Uh We've got the brilliant uh, Mark. Uh, guys, I had a, f- a funny one yesterday. I've, um, uh, I have um, I work my cars, uh, uh, motor cars pretty, pretty hard. And my old Volvo died uh, a couple of weeks ago. And I, I went way up north to pick up a, a new one. Um, <laughs> but it, it's so... Uh, well when I say new one second-hand new one but it's so high tech that when I picked it up I got I was barring down the A1 and it needed to fill up and I went to a garage and I couldn't turn it off I couldn't turn off this car because I didn't know how to so I was pull, pulled up at these pumps um and couldn't turn it off and, and there was a postie and I said mate this is really embarrassing but can you help me turn this off he said oh, my, my son's my son-in-law's got one of these and he ha- helped me to turn turn it off and it just got me thinking about um about tech um and also with the uh just bear with me with this Um with the rugby stuff that I do, I always think about those tags that the rugby players have in the back so the managers can see when they're going to uh blow, when when they're gonna run out of steam. Shemi, in skiing, just like in, in motor racing, where you can track your, your 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 circuit. I've I've never I've always wanted to ask you this. In in skiing, can you tag, can can you um d- data log um a run and then compare it with yourself, with your previous runs with, with competitors? How, how does that work?
1: Yeah, there are quite a lot of apps that do that. I find them a little bit dangerous because obviously we've all got egos and we are inspired by elite athletes and we want to beat them. But what the difference is in skiing is that when we race 90 miles an hour down a hill, it is fully private. There's got a huge amount of netting, a huge amount of teams to make sure no one is on that environment. So when I see people doing it and sometimes you see people skiing, holding their phones out no. so that they can track their speed. And I'm like, this is incredibly dangerous. So yeah. I, I do think it's quite fun to do. But what you've got to realise is that there's, there are safety um, concerns involved with trying to beat those who, who do ski these slopes in very fast speeds, but in a very controlled environment.
0: I, I, well, you just people are actually skiing, looking at their phones, trying to. Oh, yeah. When these apps
1: really? first came out, I, I genuinely saw someone just miss a pylon on a ski lift because they were looking at their phone, trying to get like their top speed in their group of friends for the day. So, although it's fun and I think it's really important to data log um, and analyze performance, there is a time and a place for it.
0: Well, there you go, Mark. Mark. are you when you next go ski, Mark? Are you going to be? Are you going to be holding your phone out to see how fast you're going backwards? No,
2: trust me, I wouldn't be. Able to, I wouldn't be able to hold my phone. i will be concentrating on staying on upright.
1: There, there <laughs> is a goggle manufacturer who, to get past this, did make a pair of goggles. I'm not going to name drop with uh, a speedometer on the inside, underneath the eye, a few years ago. So you were skiing down wow. and you could look and see your speed. But again, that is very bad for your focus levels because looking well, down means you've got no uh, external.
0: <laughs> every, every male griffle BMW vision. driver, what, what, what are those? Guys, we're live. Everything's kicking on. Um, hello, my my name is Max McGilvery from Beesock Global. Um, I love doing broadcasts with uh, with with Shemi and, uh, and and Mark. Shemi, um, this is only the sixty seventh time we've had you on. It's brilliant. It's just it. But why do we still on... got new things to say? I know. Well, why yeah. do we keep on getting you back on? Because you're you're brilliant. So let, let me do the uh, <laughs> let me let me do the serious bit, especially for those people on uh, on the on the podcast. So we're live on LinkedIn. We're live on YouTube. We're live on twitter xyz whatever we're going to call it to, today and uh also on the on the podcast Pri- privileged to have shemi Olcott uh with us on ahdb talking leaders stepping into your next chapter um, and we know how important it is to be inspired by both big businesses and individuals which why we're really excited to present the talking leaders broadcast with the magnificent um, ahdb team of, of mark and isaac and uh, and their colleagues and, and with this, we see a series of inspirational speakers share their life experiences and deliver impactful stories to the agri-leader community. So Mark, help me with this one. We always want to get people like Shemi in, because we, we could be a bit critical of our sector and say we're a bit siloed in our thinking. And if we if we get really interesting, wild, crazy, uh, inspirational people like Shemi in, we're going to learn from them, Mark, aren't we?
2: Yeah, no, definitely. We're definitely going to learn from them. And it's amazing the number of people that we've had, and Shemi, this is the third September that we've we've had uh, had you on, that there's always little nuggets that we can take away from other industries and other people's experiences that we can really, truly implement uh, within within a farming business. So, so Chevy, who is Chevy? Chevy is an English former World Cup alpine ski racer and a fiercely determined and courageous
0: sportswoman. As the only British female skier to... To ever win a run in a World Cup. She's widely regarded as one of Britain's greatest ever skiers. She's only—I say only—broken forty-nine bones in her time, um, and she's no stranger to adversity. And remains committed to inspiring the next generation and educating people from all over the world through sport. Since retiring from competing on the world stage after the Sochi Olympics in two thousand and fourteen, Sh- Shemi presents for the BBC on Ski Sunday and commentates for the World, Sc- world Cup Ski Series for Eurosport. She completed an ITV Dancing. Nice 2012, where she finished a grand fifth place in addition to her TV commenting and hosting events. And despite retiring, you'll never retire, shall we? She continues to constantly push her body to the limit, competing in multiple physical challenges, including the world's toughest ski race in Greenland, the 100 mile road race in London, and climbing Mount. Kilimanjaro, raising nearly a million pounds for charity in the process. Um, For Shemi, charity work is very important uh, as she's visited multiple underdeveloped countries such as Rwanda and Tanzania, raising money for areas of conflict resolution. Join us today for Shemi to see what's going to happen on take three. Shemi, was it, I I think we've missed one of your, was it last year that you did Brazil? The the, Amazon. The Amazon. I think it was, I was just leaving for it, wasn't I? Yeah, tell us about
1: that. And I was probably really excited. Now, this is really important because I still haven't learned why I rafted the Amazon. I always feel like there's a Eureka moment and you gain knowledge and empowerment for pushing yourself out of your comfort zone. That's what I'm all about. But actually this one has taken me quite a long time to determine how I've grown through this experience. So last year, turned 40, didn't want to have a party. So decided to do something where I would grow through the experience. Um, I didn't want to do anything with the snow involved because it's my comfort zone. So I was like, right, I'm going to raft the Amazon. Um, Entered a a race, the great Amazon raft race, where you create, you make your raft. They literally put you on an island at 45 degrees, and you've got these blunt machetes um, and a couple of trees knocked down, and you've got to make your raft. Um, It was was a nightmare, actually. The whole race uh, was completely corrupt, unfortunately. We landed. They wanted more money. Uh, no other teams had entered. Um, The locals are big fans of this race because they win prize money and they are very good at it. So a lot of the locals entered, but internationally, they didn't get the numbers. And they used to get about 80 teams, but we got there last year and there were only three teams and we were one of those. And so we went to the welcome meeting and they said, right, uh, unfortunately, we're going to have to cancel this. Now, I wanted to do a women's raft, but two of the girls couldn't compete in the end. So I had to pull in my husband and one of our great friends to do it, um, which meant that we were leaving our kids for 10 days uh, without us um, going to the other side of the world, taking on this massive challenge. It cost us a huge amount of money. We were raising money for charity as well. So I was not best pleased when I was told that the race was canceled. Wow. Um, quite a passionate person. And I was like, right, well, what's the solution here? What do you need? there's always a what do you need and and essentially they said we need a lot of money because it's a very dangerous stretch of water and we've seen that actually recently with some of the um news items of what's happened on the same amazon stretch that i was on actually and um they said we need money because without money we can't have a police boat and then you can't have anyone supporting you on the amazon and you need that and so, you know, I'm like, right, practically, what, what kind of money do we need? We've, we've made huge amount of efforts to come down here. So they put a number on it, um, went back into the room with, there was one participant who'd done this event like 10 times before who had a TV crew with her. And she said, I'm not paying because there's nothing to stop them. Say every day, we want £2,000. Every yeah. day, we need this and this and this. There's nothing. To, and I was like, well, at some point, you've got to trust people. And I've come down here for an experience and to raise money. And I'm really stubborn. It's it's not a great characteristic, but I was like, we're making this happen. We're doing this one way or another. So we agreed to do it and we delivered them the money the next morning. And it was all, oh, it was just, it, it just didn't feel great in your gut what was happening. But anyway, we did get to the start line Uh, we tried to build our own raft uh, very unsuccessfully (laughs) that we should have maybe put a bit more attention into. I thought there might be some locals there who would support us in building rafts with some knowledge, um, but I didn't realize we were actually on this island. And so we did have to rebuild our raft every single day uh, because it kept sinking the first day. Our aim, our aim, racing against the locals was to keep them in our sight the first half an hour. Now that is a tiny minute goal. That is, I I really believe that we could manage that in that we were rafting that first day for 10 hours. I was like half an hour in our eyesight, on the Amazon, big wide water. Uh, It took about 10 minutes so we couldn't see them anymore. I mean, the pace was insane. So for me, it was incredible how quickly I got to a dark place and endurance racing. And it wasn't the physicality of, of pushing hard. It was mentally... We were ill-prepared. We hadn't created a good enough raft. And we didn't know if we could complete this race. And, and there were so many negative experiences from this. And, I, and I'm an eternal, you guys know, that's a positive person. And I was like, right, we're gonna do this. It's just not gonna be the experience that we anticipated. Um, and we did, we muscled through it. Uh, the, the only golden memory I have is that because we were in the water for so much longer than everyone else, we were in the water at sunset every day when everyone else had finished we saw pink dolphins and no one else saw pink dolphins and there was this oh, moment crazy. of gratitude because those pink dolphins came when we were in the midst of a horrendous storm that first day and um, the second day we were I, I i was quite lucky i didn't have a monitor talking about we, we started this podcast with, with monitoring data i didn't have any watches on because I didn't want to I know that for me endurance racing I just need to get to that mindset I don't want to be looking at the clock the whole time because I can get quite sad by the fact that we're not going anywhere so Dougie was in the back of the raft and he knew our speed he was monitoring our speed and there was a moment where we were going 0.9 kilometers per hour we were doing 180 kilometers okay so he's looking at this and, and we're putting maximum effort in but we're not going anywhere because of all the tides so it was really it was really amazing for me actually to go to such a unknown dark place and come out of it but I did think that in the last nine ten months I would be hit by a reasoning for it and I haven't got that yet but I think when you're challenged like that it does tend to take some time to come out the other end
0: yeah I think, didn't, didn't we say in one of the previous broadcasts that life begins outside of your comfort zone? And I keep on saying this and, and Shemi, you you just are I just, I, I so inspired in, in respect to that. I suppose the next obvious question is what's next if you've done that and you always find a positive from it? Well, next?
1: I think I think what I've realised is that I do not like endurance racing. I don't like being bored. I like being pushed to my limits in terms of danger and excitement. That is my comfort zone even though I push it. And every time I'm doing something a bit more radical, what I really don't like is having time for my brain to think. Now, I think this is an area where I very much need to improve because I think that is where you can have moments of really heightened creativity when you've got silence around you, but I don't welcome silence. I don't welcome endurance. I don't like monotony. So it takes me about two years to forget that. And then I sign up for an endurance challenge again. Um, But maybe, but I I think that's an area that's really important for me to get comfortable with. And I do do yoga and I do meditate. So I do try and force myself. But as I said to you guys, I I crushed some yoga this morning, 30 minutes. But then I was late for my next appointment. So then I'm super stressed going into it. So I don't think I really get the benefits of of that calm, quiet time, which actually is imperative for us. We all got to know where our weakness is. And my weakness is my brain having quietness around it.
0: I, Mark, I think Shemi's every psychologist nightmare. Yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, I mean, uh, you know, ha- having said that, I'm not allowing myself to have any quiet time going forward. I mm. last year also involved me saying yes to a um, POV, a, a ski run where I'm filmed on ski Sunday while skiing at 70 miles an hour. And we're talking a lot about transitions today. So I'm just going to backtrack on why I retired from the sport that I absolutely love and have so much passion for is because my last surgeon told me, and I think I've mentioned this before, that if I crash with the metalwork in my leg now, um, he would have to amputate my leg from my knee down because I don't have the bone structure that can handle the forces of ski racing anymore. So that that was great for me because that was someone taking my obsession with my dreams and my stubbornness to achieve my goals away from me and say, it's okay, you've done an amazing job, you've had four Olympic cycle in you, but now is the time to move on if you want to see yourself playing and working in the mountains. Mm-hmm. So he said that to me, and then fast forward a bunch of years, I get this dream, my second dream job. My dream was to win the Olympics and to work on Ski Sunday. And I think this is really important. I'm living my second dream. And so often you think that there's a pathway to success and that you have to like notch up all of these achievements along the way, but actually you can completely go off tangent, but still get back. There are many ways to tread to get to your end goal. And I didn't go the way I wanted, but actually I think I'm more successful on Ski Sunday because I didn't win an Olympic medal. Yeah, because totally. I have more mm. empathy. I've got more storytelling skills because I don't just look at the medal table. Um. Mm. So, anyway, so so I get on ski Sunday um, and I get some great feedback. But the one thing that keeps coming up is, oh, Shemi, we missed the camera runs that the former presenter did. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, yep, yep. And I keep thinking, okay, I've got an excuse. I've just had a baby. I can't go 70 miles an hour. What's my excuse now? What's my. And, 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 And at the end of the day, I'm like, right, I've got to do this. My ego was so big. I pushed, I suppressed it for so long, but I was like, I've got to do this because this is what people want. Um anyway, and last year I, I did the camera run, but at the same time that voice of that last surgeon and what he said to me was going on in my head. But I was like, right, this is a different role now. I've transitioned. I am not a ski racer. I am a TV presenter. I've got to rely on my presenting skills over skiing fast. And it, and it took a lot of work and it took a lot of self-talk going into it. But I did do it and it got received really well. In fact, I I've, I've stabbed myself in the foot because it got received really well. That everyone wants me to do more. Do more so I'm like I'm going, gosh um, and yeah. but so that was that was a big thing for me because that was something I thought I would never be able to do but peer pressure made me do and I loved it so I think sometimes we do things for other people and we think what are we gonna gain from this but actually sometimes other people believe in you more than you yeah. believe in yourself and you can you know tag on to that a bit so that that was massive for me last year Um, I feel like I'm doing a very long answer. Yes, sorry, sorry,
2: Mark. I'm just just thinking, and a question to jump in and ask, that you've gone from being a professional athlete where everything is very prescriptive, you're driven, it's probably mapped out on a minute-to-minute basis, seven days a week in terms of how you operate. What came first? So your surgeon says, look, if you carry this on, I'm going to have to chop your leg off. What came first? The decision to stop, or the call from the BBC to say, we've got your second second dream
1: so well that that dream's been there since i was a five-year-old um and obviously i do like talking and i and i like being (laughs) on tv and i love my sport so i i always knew that was something mark that i wanted to go into but no i made the decision to to retire first and then i wanted to so i was in an amazing relationship and what you see a lot with female athletes when they retire is they rush into motherhood because they're looking for a very strong new identity straight away. And I, I didn't want to do that. I really wanted to delay it because I wanted to see who I was without ski racing, which is, it's just quite a brave thing. I defined mm-hmm. myself by being a ski racer my whole life. And I've got this really weird name. So I would call people up and say, Hey, I'm, I'm Shemi, the ski racer. And they'd be like, Oh yeah, we know exactly who you are. So that was who I was. So I take away half of that and who are you? Um, And so it was really important for me to, to find my passions, to find my life structure. You, you, you called that really well. You know, I, I knew that I wanted to retire and I knew that physically I would be able to keep up with it because I set myself all these goals, like the world's toughest ski race and everything so that I would train. But it was that mental, what daily goals do I have now? What reason do I have to, to get up and go now? Like every day as an athlete, the simplest goal, every day I wanna be stronger, better, faster. take that away when i'm retired i don't need to be stronger better faster well i do actually i need to be better i've just got to look away from from the elite level sports side and find out who who you know mold myself through that transition and and change is inherently and understandably scary but my big thing is that fear is something that we need to cuddle oh my gosh we need to we need to find fear embrace it and grow through it and I think I was mentioning this to you guys, it's been something I'm very passionate about. I've now managed to make that a, a real avenue of, of of, of, happiness for me to go out there and, and be a keynote speaker on, on the power of fear and normalizing yeah. fear. And something now where I've noticed that our young children, our legacy, it has an adversity to risk and fear that will massively limit their potential in the future. So I'm now writing a book, Normalizing Fear, for children um so yeah it's something that i'm really passionate about so actually i was ready to retire because i was really excited to to find out who i was without that part of me yeah
2: you know? and i suppose and I, and I, just building on the point uh, was it graham bell that used to do the the, the 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 runs so going into his boots and his skis and something that you had in the back of your mind that if i mess this up this could end in losing my leg i suppose you had to change your mindset that you're a tv presenter that's a fairly handy skier and can fit ski fairly quickly rather than I'm actually racing to try and- I promote. mean, that was really, really
1: hard because I was being egged on left, right and centre by all the coaches who were still the same coaches from when I was racing. They wanted to see if I'd still got it. And, you know, you just, yeah, you, you've got that, that, that ego part of you that will never leave, but it's actually a real benefit that I have. You know, my, my, my self-belief is something that is still carrying me very far in my career, but also at this age, like you said then, I, I made mistakes on that run, but actually I still had fun. And I yeah. think if I'd skied like that as a racer, I would have been so disappointed, but I was trying to talk. I mean, you don't often have to talk right. at 70 miles an hour the whole way down. It's quite funny cause I made, I had I had the piece map and all the, all the corners on the course are called a certain thing. It's very official. So that all the commentators in the TV box have the same words, um, but I had so much more time cause I was actually skiing it. But I started making up names as I was going down and there was this one corner with three rollers. And in 1999, I raced the, the, the Vale World Champs and there was a corner like this. And I have not thought about this, since 1999. But as I was going through this corner live on TV, I'm like, oh, and this is the first rolled Huey and here's his brother Louis, and there's Dewey. And anyway, <laughs> so, so somehow in that moment of adrenaline I was like renaming the track left, right and center. And I think that's that's relying on, on your instincts and, and trusting that to go. Um, but it was, you know, it was amazing to do. I, I'm really proud of myself. My children were very proud. That was quite nice to me because for years I felt a huge amount of mother guilt with the amount of time I'm away from them. I mean, my, they're, they're boys born in January the 13th and the 19th. I've the 16th, sorry. I've seen them once on their birthday, and that was when I gave birth to them. It's mm-hmm. terrible timing to have children for me who works in winter sports, and for years I've had to spend a lot of time away from them. But after I did that camera run, people were coming up to them and being like, oh, I saw your mummy racing on TV. And they were so proud to tell, like I was eavesdropping on on their reaction to that was was amazing. And it made it all worth it because I think a lot of parents, and I'm just going to say women, but parents, you know, feel like they're not allowed to go back to work. They're not allowed to have this other existence because everything has to be about having and um, and growing these amazing young children. But actually, I'm a better mum because I still do all these crazy things. And, and that was the moment that I saw it was worth it.
0: Excellent. Hey, can, I, can I just give you an example? I love this line, you need to cuddle fear. Yeah. Um, oh, Shemi, Mark, what do you think to this? I, I recently went to a agriculture university and they, uh, they said about uh, um, that w- when you go to university, you have to do a perspective interview. Um, And so this uh, uh, young man was going to go up for this perspective interview. He didn't attend. His mother attended on his behalf for his interview. Because he was scared. Or the mother was a helicopter parent. Um, and and just emphasizing what you were just saying about you need to cuddle fear some so you, we all, we all three of us know what it's like Shemi, you more than most even more so that you you sometimes need to put your uh yourself in a position of discomfort to learn from it and no, if it no, works, you it works, always you have don't. to yeah but can you imagine that garbage oh of, of this mother I think, thinking- I
1: think unfortunately fear has the worst emotional PR ever and that's something that we really need to change we need to tell people that it's not just okay to be scared. It's imperative to be scared to show that you're getting out your comfort zone. And you know, I know the followers of this all know my story that I chose to be subpar, eighty percent of the best that I could be for around eight years of my competitive career. Like I chose to not be my very best, and then I put myself in a position where I could be hundred percent. And yes, I got great results, but I also got hurt a lot afterwards. But that period is the most satisfactory period of my competitive life because i was going out there and being my very best living at, at, at the maximum that i could be and pushing it obviously and and i think that i was scared all the time i was scared all the time i was scared whether i was going to crash or whether i was going to win and how i was going to handle that pressure right. but it's I, I just think we really need to change how we how how we understand um and react to fear
0: yeah it's, it's, it's almost like we need a book for, for younger younger people younger generations <laughs> that that did, what what are your thoughts
1: i mean my my book's called um turning uh, belly butterflies into dragon wings and it's something it. that i always say to kids young kids when i'm putting them in the start gate when i'm coaching is have you got the belly butterflies and 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 it takes them a while to trust me enough to say yes and i'm like okay great once we've established that that you care about this enough to feel nervous we can then launch our wings and and fly through life and i think um that's that's something that is is really important whether you're whether you're five doing a ski race or you're or you're 50 and you're a farmer going against the grain
0: sorry for the pun <laughs> so, so mark, mark what do you think we can learn from this you need to cuddle fear to turn those belly butterflies shemi help me into Dragon wings.
2: Dragon wing. You weren't listening, Max.
0: I, want, I, could, I can't <laughs> read my writing. <laughs> I,
2: I think it's it, it's so important, and I think reflecting and thinking about the farming community. And no disrespect, that farmers are very habitual, and potentially it then gets passed down generations, which makes that certain change of direction or that certain challenge to step outside a comfort zone, make a little change to the business. Make a big decision, whatever that may be. That you do need to embrace those things. Um, I personally, there's things that I know that I'm not very, I, that I struggle with, and I, I would shy away from. But you, being self-aware and being able to, to do that, you have to put your big boy pants on, and sometimes you have to step outside your comfort zone mm. and, and do those things. And I think it's yeah, those the things that you've said and, and Shemi. And then starting young, particularly through the COVID and and things like that, I look at my 15, my son turns 15 this week, he won't pick the phone up, even to my my, my mother, his grandmother, because he doesn't like talking on the phone, it's like, come on son, you've got to do some of these things to overcome and and move these things forward, and it's, it's a silly, basic example, but
1: yeah it's like that <laughs> in, incrementally facing your fears i just want to pinpoint something because you know we've worked together a little bit mark and i want to say it about farmers because it, it's all fell and wear me coming in and saying this but actually what i think that there's a huge strength in the farming community of, of legacy and loyalty and, mm. and i think that when we're talking about change we're not talking about undoing what the generations before have done it's about remoulding yourself moving with the times and it's not saying what they did is wrong because I think that's really important farmers are innately loyal um, and 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 they're part of that community and it's not going against everyone it's not going oh I I," yeah
2: making that one degree shift that is a small shift now that actually in
1: 12
2: months six months down the line has actually made a bigger difference
0: So legacy and loyalty, uh, crikey! I think think you've hit it on the head, head there, Shemi, in respect of um, of of farming. So, so what what are we trying to say to people here? What what can we learn from you, Shemi, on the the subject of stepping into your next chapter? Should I? I just want to go back back to one one thing. I was involved with a, a university presentation this week and they had a, a, a really interesting guy who's a he's a professor of digital learning and he's a head of aws amazon web services uh, for education so a really big hitter and he opened his um presentation saying i'm really nervous in front of 250 people mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really nervous um i don't enjoy doing this um i've, I've actually received a bit, a bit of counseling on, on this so you if you if you don't mind i'm just going to get on with it and hopefully and you can see he's, he's obviously done this a couple Times, but I spoke to him and interviewed him afterwards. He says, "No, but I don't enjoy it, um, but I've been taught by my professionals the only way to get over this is to actually go out there and blinking well do it." So this is what I do, and, I, and I find I've actually started to really enjoy it now, um, and I find it very beneficial for me and for um, Amazon who I work for, and I get really great feedback from it. So, Sherry, can we just emphasise that point that um, if you are nervous, mm. just like Mark with his fifteen-year-old son, that we sh- we we should step forward, we we should um, uh, step out of our comfort zone. I mean, the the hardest paths that we tread are those unknown to
1: us. But every time we force ourselves to tread them, like think about going into a jungle. The first time you go, you've got to have a machete. It's never been walked before. You've got to really make loads of effort. You've got to force yourself to go forward. But every time you tread that same path, it gets easier and easier. And you can make that path longer and tougher for yourself. Um, I'm actually the same with keynote speaking. I know a lot of people don't believe this, but when I retired, um, it was something that schools really wanted me to go in and speak and I used to be so nervous really? I couldn't sleep the night before wow. and then I thought what did I do as an elite athlete to handle my nerves well I prepared I planned more I got support I asked for for community help so that's what I did I got a, a speech talking mentor um, who's an amazing guy and I invested in me to tell my story um, and it's got to the point now where I'm very very lucky that I'm You know, I I travel the world talking about this. And it's also taken me a a few years to justify why I'm getting these jobs over people who are really successful. And I think that it takes a lot of confidence to stand there to say, I'm here because I failed. But it's much more relatable. I've spoken in some amazing places around the world after elite level athletes who stand up and say, I'm so and so. I won an Olympic gold medal because I'm the best. I'm innately talented and I worked hard. Now, that, that isn't relatable to most people. So actually, for me, it's taken a lot of confidence to go out there and talk about all the adversity I faced and the reasons why I failed and what I've learned from every single time. But that has made me a better presenter, a better and more yeah. relatable presenter.
0: Yeah, brilliant. And and the the, the next question, just just the, the question is, but let, let me just um, uh, add to it. Do you have a plan? Within agriculture, we're also told you've got to have a plan. And there's quite a few farmers who... I th- Mark, help me here, it's about a third of all farmers don't, don't even have a will. They've got no, uh, we're talking about legacy, they've got nothing set up for the next generation. They, they, they've got their head in the sand. They, they don't have a plan. We're always told in, in business to have, to have a plan. Shemi, do you have a plan? What, what's your advice to all of us as to how, how we should look to plan our future, whether it be, I don't know, per- personally or, or, or on a, a career perspective? What's your plan?
1: I, I do have a plan, but I want to say when I retired from ski racing, my choice was to say yes to everything, to put myself in situations I didn't enjoy, to realize that this is the lane I liked and, and this is a space that I thought I wanted to go to, but I didn't. And actually now I think I've got my lane and what I've decided, working in TV, a lot of people say, well, why aren't you doing more? Why don't you go for this job and this job and this job? And what I've realized is that I'm really confident in my lane because I, I have this yeah, huge well, amount of knowledge here. And with my lane, it's opening up opportunities to wear different hats, which I also really enjoy. Yeah. So I think I went through years of saying yes to everything to explore every experience. And I tick some as success. And then I tick some as, you know, not a success, but actually the, the more things that I didn't enjoy, the quicker the roadblock came. So the more I could walk those other paths yeah. that I was enjoying. And that I realized I could make a career out of. So I think there are moments where you need a plan but there are moments when you've just got to go with the flow, especially if you don't have a plan. Like if I don't have a plan, I will go with the flow yeah. and that will direct me to something that I enjoy. Because That yeah. is the first thing you will be successful if you have the passion. So you go that way and then that expands your plan and yeah. creates your plan.
0: And if, um, I think my, we might have spoken before about it. Show me if one thing I've learned within business, if you can be niche um, in a business area and, and sort of crowd out the competition, uh, you're, you're going to in, enjoy it and, and you're going to um, earn from it, whether that be uh, positively, emotionally or, or, or financially. And in effect, that's what you've done. You've got niche because you could have presumably done um, and anything else because of your um, impact within TV, but you, you just wanted to remain niche and enjoy it. And and not dominates too too aggressive word, but 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 create create a set of profile in there, so you become the go to with it. So you you've remained niche within your sector,
1: and there's no harm in that. I think yeah, that sometimes when you get to the top of that sector, you think, oh my gosh, I've got to then branch out, or you don't. You can just push the boundaries where you're good at. And that's what I'm trying to do. And that's what I'm trying to like learn how to wear other hats, working in sustainability. I've just become oh, well an ambassador for Protect Our Winters. So I'm doing loads of carbon literacy training right now. And I find it I find it fascinating and imperative. And this kind of started a few years ago. Um, I didn't even notice whilst I was a competitive ski racer that the mountains were dying around me because I was so narrow focused. And that's what I needed to do. I traveled the world. I trained, I raced, I, di- I didn't really look up. I very much looked inward. And then when I retired, I, I essentially, I, I returned to a glacier, um, the Vallée Blanche, and probably Mark's heard of it. It's one of the best 20 kilometers of the best off-piste skiing in the world in Chamonix on top of a glacier. Um, and when I skied it at 10 years old, there were five steps to get to a gondola, which took you up to a train, taking you up the valley. And I went back there for my husband's 30th, 25 years later. And those five steps had turned into 580 steps because that that's is lining. how much glacier retreat so the glacier is now more than 100 meters of depth so more than big ben less in every part and i i mean that is the most in your face evidence of climate change that i think you can have and once i once i'd seen it i couldn't unsee it so i'm like how what can i do and obviously you know we look at change and i know this is something that hdb look at a lot and we look at what we can do inward so you know what decisions can i make i can drive an electric car and i know that's controversial to many but I think any may, any change of something that is not good is good and that change will then end up being something that we invest in which makes it good then I rent my clothing I'm, I'm looking at traveling by train to the ski the mountains this winter but then I'm looking at bigger picture like the ripple effect I, I heard this the other day to make change you you can use your dime your time or your voice and I think that yeah you know I, yeah. I don't have loads of dime but I have got time for my passion, and I've and I've got a voice, yeah. and so I'm just trying to learn so that I can make those ripple effects. And I think sometimes with with things that are so big in change and such, um, sustainability is is such an a subjective opinion on so many people that people don't want to make a change in it because they think they'll be judged for all the things that they are doing wrong. Well, we've all just got to start doing the things that we can do right at without changing our bigger picture and our bigger plans. And actually, that is success. So, so I still I still fly by aeroplane. I'm not perfect, but I'm just trying to make some positive change. And I think that there's so much pressure to be completely perfect on every part of your business model that it actually puts fear, blocking fear, to actually make a change at all.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: And on that on that point of fear, we've had a comment from Lindsay Heisman in the chat. Um, she said, uh, there's a really good book called Feel the Fears. And do it always. Not sure if either you, Shimmy, or Max have heard about it. So thank you for that comment, uh, Lindsay.
0: So, so Shimmy, Ch- just do. Do you think that we should be, to just like like yourself, you've got this 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 mission. You can see see where you're going. Do you think we should all look to? So it sounds a bit jingoistic, but ad- adopt that your direction of travel and look to do something as well ourselves to better our our environment because if we all do that if we're all doing a little bit a little bit is going to lead into, into something significant or do we just stick our heads in the sand shemi what do you think
1: i mean, especially the farming community if we stick our heads in the sand we are not going to have a community in 50 100 years i mean i hear my sons say who are great skiers when i hear them tell people they want to be ski racers my heart is torn in two i feel immensely proud that i've obviously given them this passion but also I panic because I don't know if the sport that's brought me so much love and gratitude and passion will be around for them yeah. in 20 years. Mm-hmm. So we've got to act now. And I know I'm talking about ski racing, but it can be anything. And we've seen the impact of climate change. We've, we've talked about it quite a lot on, on the farming community. So we have got to adapt. We've got to start. And some of the things are, aren't so scary. It's not a huge lifestyle change. Don't Don't do something unattainable any changing habits have got to be that, that incremental. Incrementally, you step towards fear. Incrementally, you make change, and then it becomes the norm.
0: Yeah, well, well done. And I love the fact that you're investigating the sustainability element of it, because, again, if you're doing it, you're, you're positive radar, and it's going to positively affect other people. And there's such a um, a positive movement towards this societal change. March, um, uh, I mean, that's the, the terminology I was looking for that there is this movement towards it. But it's got to be realistic without trying to step over the line into politics. Uh, Within the uh, UK political structure, there was an announcement from our PM yesterday that he's looking to uh, make more flips some of the changes that we're looking to go for um in, in respect of green, green targets and, th- and that's up to people to decide whether that was a a, a good uh, uh presentation or not but we're going we're going in, in, in the right direction of travel mark do you think within agriculture we, we, we are going in in the, in the right form of, um, of travel that, that we can learn from shemi that if we do do our bit it will make that difference
2: yeah of course we're going in the the, the right direction of channel and there's some great work that's been done by the industry and i think Thinking about some of the points that Sherry, Shemmy's made in those incremental changes, facing fears, making a small directional change to have a, a bigger impact in the long term is definitely the, 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 the things that our industry um, need to adopt a little bit more and, and need to push forward um, with.
0: So Shemmy, Shem, just out of curiosity, do you do any non-exec work? Do you, do you advise companies or people or kids? We've also talked about about your your, your book, because I'm, I'm guessing that someone like yourself is seen the adversity very well travelled, seen a lot of people. You'd be able to identify very quickly the good, the bad, and the ugly, um, either in people or and and situations. Do you ever get involved either directly or just end up helping people and, and companies to say, "I think you're doing it wrong," or have you tried this because I think you could go in a better direction?
1: I would never do the former. I'm not never say you're doing this wrong because I don't have enough knowledge of each industry. But I always say there is an opportunity for us to all improve personally. I remember uh, getting booked by an accountant firm a few years ago who were like, Shemi, can you talk about marginal gains? If every single person who worked for us was better by 1%, our turnover would be 5 million more. And I'm like, okay, this is easy. So I went in and you know, I remember at the beginning sitting there in front of these hundreds of accountants and they were going, oh Oh my God, God. ski racer. What have we got in common with her? And at the end, they were all frothing. They were all so excited to tell me that the things that they were gonna do better and the risks they were mm-hmm. going to take and i was like this is so, so it is a very general message that you can apply to everyone but i i would never go into an industry and say no. you're doing this wrong because i think you have to have a huge amount of understanding to do that i mean unless i'm talking about my my own industry and i think we are in a positive moment of making change in everything i think we've we've taken risks i mean look at women's empowerment across the board look at women's sport and where we are today um, and that understanding of, of different needs and the diversity and inclusivity that is going on in corporates around the world, I think we are understanding and learning how to bring out the best in every individual.
0: Yeah. Well. What, what, uh, sorry, Shemi, you fallen into a trap here. Uh, so this is this is Henry and Kent. Shemi, how do you motivate a team?
1: Oh, well, you have to. You need to learn the individual personalities of that team and work out how you can work together effectively. Um, I met a perfectionist the other day who said to me, but I, I, I'm i perfect, so I feel like I can lead my team. And I'm like, okay, perfectionism is actually incredibly limiting. What you want to do is search for excellence because perfectionism, it's, it, it means that you're, you're, never, you're never able to take a risk because the risk yep. can end in failure. So perfectionists don't go there. Whereas these people who are in pursuit of excellence, those are great leaders because they're telling their team, I'm gonna give you the confidence to, to make your own call and to take risks. Because I know that you know 80% of those risks might end up not going anywhere, but the 20% that make it, that's something that we can learn from and move forward with. And that's how we will all grow as a team. So I think that the team model is about learning that you don't want 10 people of you. When I started off um, running our business with my husband, I was like, oh, I want I want loads more Shemi and duggies. But I realized there's a lot of areas that I am weak in. And so in order to have that kind of cog system Mm -hmm. that all creates positive movement together we need to employ people who are strengths where our weaknesses are so I think it's about a huge amount of honesty in a team and what you can deliver to the table and sometimes those shy and retiring types are exactly who I need in my life because I need people to listen to my mad ideas be honest tell me that half of them have not got any legs and then the ones that have got legs help me to get those across the Mm -hmm. line because I, I just love going at things full throttle. But you can't have a whole team of that. So I think I think that is a, an amazing thing to have the confidence in your team to look at their individualities and, and put those on the table.
2: Yeah, I well, go on. Well. I'm sorry, I think that's really important. And um, a colleague that we've worked with before, I think you might have worked with Dr. Paul Horwood from Stan Communication. He would always say that um, you can't have a motivated team, but what you need to have is a team, a group of motivated individuals to create that, create that team. So just building on those points and... Um, and you're very aware of the skill sets that you're good at and uh, and skill sets that you need to dial up occasionally were there any particular skills natural groups that you clung on to as you transisted from your ski professional ski racing career into your professional uh, media tv career was there any particular bits that you, you that you really clung on to
0: yeah
1: um i i'm a big planner So even when I work on telly, people think I'm reacting and I've got all this information in my head. Well, actually that information is in my head because I've studied it, but I want to deliver it in a way that makes it look like it's off the cuff, but that doesn't come naturally to me. So I have to do a lot of preparation. And that's what you do as as a ski racer. Months of the year, you're not racing. You're just preparing yourself physically and mentally. And that's what I, I do now. I want to prepare. I want to know that I've got all the knowledge to be able to challenge myself in those situations to be my best so I do a huge amount of preparation work I physically I'm in the gym every single day and people are like what are you training for I'm like I'm training to say yes like say yes to what I'm like I don't know whatever might happen you know celebrity SAS call me tomorrow someone's out the game are you in yes I'm in you know that's why I train because you don't always have to have a concrete goal but you just have to be prepared that you can say yes and so I think that is that is the key that I've learned as, a, as an athlete that I'm bringing in into life now.
2: Brilliant.
0: So just, just coming back to the the, the, the teams and, and um, Henry's point there, how you, you talk about how, how would you select a team? So if it, because uh, it, because within farming, it's all about teams and you've got you as the, as the as the business leader, the farm manager, the farm farm owner or the or, or the or the farm foreman. And you've got to motivate these individuals where everything's coming back on 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 yourself. How do, how, how do you motivate yourself? How, how do you motivate the team how do you select the team Let, let's start with how do you motivate yourself you're i mean you're, you're very you're very driven but this there'll be but we all know what it's like at this sort of grand old age that we are with with kids and the pressure of that and business and relationship yeah. how do you keep yourself motivated shemi
1: i mean my motivation as a leader is seeing the confidence in others build underneath me like if you can create confidence in your team whatever they're doing then then that is a complete success and i think that structuring that at the start like if you're in an employment stage knowing your weaknesses and finding people who can tick those boxes but still have the same passions as you i think the passion has to be there the heart has to be there you know you you've got to have the same goals but that doesn't mean you're the same person you can find other people with the same goals who can then you know slit into your your frame of opportunities for um for growth you know i know that I'm not good at IT I'm not good at organisation skills I can find people who love skiing who are good at that who can then come into our business and excel and be confident enough to to take take the lead on that um and and that, you know that there's no that there's no uh, issue with being a leader and having other people lead in 70% of your business as long as you are ma- you know managing them making sure the environment that you're creating is is one where you're you're promoting confidence enough to to look outside the box to take risks.
0: Training is training and development important to you and to the the people that the, the companies that you're involved with.
1: Yeah, I mean, I keep telling people that I'm training. I'm doing this carbon literacy training at the moment. People are like, oh, why are you doing that? I'm like, because knowledge is power. Like, I want to keep growing my head. And actually, I got to a phase of being a new mum and working all the time. I didn't have. I was just existing. I was that swan upstream, and I was just just managing to do everything whereas now my youngest has just started school this september so i've got more space to grow and to read and to learn and you you should never you should never stop learning yeah however good you are at something there's definitely more
0: to absorb Shemi, well done. We're just going to give a big endorsement to the AHDB. Um, there's this a standard graph of, of when you start off in um, in, in life and and uh, your formative years and career. You, you get trained, uh, then you get into uh, mid 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 midlife, um, and you, your training drops off, but your seniority quite often goes up. But if anything, you need more training then. And Mark, help me then. That's when when you need the like, the AHDB to to fill in the gaps on any any training that you you might be potentially weak on to make you even better.
2: Yeah, no, whether it be on the the formal kind of delivery that we offer across all the sectors and all the technical updates, again, it's just absorbing information um which is at the cold face, at the cutting edge, uh, and pushing forward. Or whether it be some of the there's a range of courses out there in the sector that can help push people forward. I would probably personally recognise that you get to that point. So I've just got myself a mentor that is something I, I'll never do. I've pushed myself out of the comfort zone of a and I'm um, now working with a re- leading business consultant to help fill in the gaps and, and identify the areas where I need to go to the, push onto the next level. So that's-
0: Shabby Ch- Ch- Mark is cuddled fear. And, and he's got-
1: Yeah, got, he got, has, got, got, got and he's embracing to... it. He's embracing mm-hmm. unknown territory. And I think Definitely. that's so important. And, 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 you know, so many people are like, oh, I must aspire to be the best in the business. I must aspire, well, that's out of your control. If someone is in that spot, That is out of your control. But what you can be is you can be the best in your space, willing to learn and absorb in your space. Because I think we're, you know, we're we're a society where we're driven by this hierarchical, you must be better. You must you once you get there, you know, you know, whether whether it's personal or professional, even like in our personal lives, once you get married, when you're having your kid, once you've had a kid, when you're having your next kid, like (laughs) there always has to be a next thing. Well, how about sitting where you are and being honest with yourself in your space and going. I'm gonna be the very best in my space and keep mm. learning and build this space, build this role to be better and bigger. And, and then, then you're not determined, then you're not always looking at the future that is out of your control, you know, going, right, I'm gonna be CEO. Well, you can't be CEO unless that person retires or if that person moves on and that person, what you can be is bloody the best you can be at your job.
0: Yeah, well Well done. And the caveat to that is that that the average CEO in the UK uh, business structure of, of all industries last 18 months and, and this is probably a bit like being prime minister or the england football coach at some point you're going to get kicked out so so it actually Shemi, taking on what you said if you can find a role that you really enjoy and you can prosper with it for the for the long term it's going to be far more beneficial for you huge so come on Mark. What, what have we learned today from shemi
2: i think it's again it's been a a privilege to to have you on again and just little the little things that that you touched on in terms of the book uh belly butterflies to dragon wings and, and that embracing of fear and i think a lot of things is is, is is individuals need to just step a little bit outside their comfort zone you need to grasp on and have an awareness of what the areas that you're good at which you're very good at and then drive into that into that next um that next chapter that next next direction focusing on on the bits that you're good at uh, and then trying to not necessarily plan everything but um take the direction steer of where where it goes moving forward which is, which is yeah it's brilliant
0: Excellent. And I, th- I just love this line we said it four or five times now and it's such a, a lovely way of presenting it you need to cuddle fear if you're going to progress Shemi, Mark, if you if you want to progress, you need to cuddle fit. It's got to be a bit uncomfortable, and it might work, and might might not work. But Shemmy, as as you've said, in some ways, you've got to be a bit proud of failure sometimes because it's going to make yeah. you better. Not in some ways. In <laughs> some ways, I but I have only grown and evolved through
1: the mistakes and the failings that I've made. Not any medals I've won because when I fail, I reflect on why I why I failed, and then oh. I know how to build on that for next time. So I think it's it's imperative, and and I always tell you guys this, but. You never lose, either you win or you learn. So that is the philosophy of going out there and being your very best every single day because yeah. the satisfaction that comes with that, of going to bed going, you know what? I won an award yeah. today or uh, my crops were amazing today or this happened today and it was a disaster. You're learning through that, whatever it is.
0: Yeah, You you need to cuddle fear, turning belly uh, belly butterflies into, into dragon wings. Uh, my, my contact Henry has said it's uh, it's great that uh, Shemi is um, obviously her own mentor. It's great that Mark has <laughs> got his own mentor. Max, you need a fashion mentor. Where did you get that shirt from?
2: <laughs> from Isaac,
0: <laughs> <laughs> it does look like an Isaac shirt. <laughs> is We've a little to, bit of Isaac with to, us today. To, to, oh. Talking to failures, Mark, wrap up for us before Henry comes back online. No, anyway.
2: again, Shemi, it's been an absolute privilege. Um, you're always great to work with. Um, and I think there's some real good gems of points that, that you've, yeah. you've pulled out here. Uh, and like you say, you, you never lose, you always win or learn. And people just need to keep striving to do a bit better and, and step out of their comfort zone uh, and push forward. Um, and so then don't, don't the- be
1: a sheep. When your yeah. tractor sees, you know, an easier well-trodden path, veer yeah. off it, find another path to plow down. Because that's the way you can carve your own way. So it's just, you know, you have an amazing potential in your industry and your industry is incredible at listening to the needs of it. And I think I have to thank you for that, Mark. You know, all the support that you put in place and even, you know, doing a podcast. This You're the only industry that I work with who have their own podcast that is willing to to listen to people. I don't do work on a podcast level with anyone else on a yearly basis who's ready to kind of educate and support the people in their industry. So I want to congratulate you guys for that.
2: No, thank you very much. Thank you very much. And, and,
0: and, and Sherry, we've just got a, a big, big you up. I, I know that the bulk of people darling, dialing in or listening will know of you, but t- where can we find more of you, especially as we, we've got the winter and season the coming, coming up. And get the book. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, well, wait.
1: listen, so, so this is my thing with the book. So I've been thinking about this book for ages and for the last four months, I've started talking about it so that I'm held accountable and I actually <laughs> write it. Lovely. Um there's six chapters and I've written two uh, so I am getting there Um so the book I'm thinking next winter I will will be out Um it is for your children but it's to normalize fear with support of parents the amount of parents that I hear saying why are you scared you shouldn't be scared and I'm like don't diminish fear in young yeah. people support them and grow through it so it isn't, you know, not a Mark, you might enjoy it, you know? <laughs> know, Peachy, that's my main character, which means brave in the Native American, um, might be able to help you. But um, obviously in the winter, we've got seven shows on Ski Sunday, starting January the 7th. Um, I'm always around for, you know, checking in with you all on here. I've got my social media accounts that I do reply personally to. A lot of people think that, you know, you have a massive team, but it's not. You know, if anyone needs any support from anything I've said today, reach out on social media and I will get back to you. Uh, And thank you for having me.
2: Excellent. Thank you. Until next time, Jimmy. We'll see you soon. I've
1: got to do something big this year. So I've got a year. This is great. See, this is, you're holding me accountable (laughs) to have a year of my life whereby I've got an hour to talk about interesting change by September, 2024. Okay, it's on guys. But how about I throw it back to you? I want to hear something that you guys have done in September by September 2024.
2: The challenge completely is...
1: changed your your goals and avenue. Okay.
2: The challenges shit. Yeah. Oh, Max is going to get a new shirt and going um, yeah, yeah. to do something <laughs> wacky. <Absolutely.
0: laughs> Excellent, Chevy. Sher- thank you, Mark. Thank you, and we'll, we'll catch up on the next AHDB Talking Leaders in in October. Chevy, you're brilliant as always. Thank you.
1: Thank, thank you, Mark. Thank you, guys. Bye. bye,
0: bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.